RadioInfluence.com. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 101260 with your questions, comments, or smart-ass remarks. And welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell, and we're your weekly source for performance information. Reach out to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is the email. Questions, comments, smart remarks. We love them all. Or if you have a topic you'd like us to investigate, let us know. Uh, we've dedicated segments, even entire episodes to your ideas, and we love them. So please get to us if you have anything you'd like us to dive into or if you just need some help. Listen, we have a network of people. Here's what I can promise you. If we don't have the answer, we'll get the answer for you. And whether you want to share it on the air, we'll ask. Or whether you just want to keep it between us, that's entirely cool. The goals and objectives of Crush Performance here are to help you get better at whatever it is you're doing. Today on the show, I'm actually quite excited about this. Because we're heading into fall sport, which is great. But there has been some incredible changes in sport. And you've heard us talk about the changes in Major League Baseball with the new rules, the contraction of the minor leagues, and of course, getting back into a season after missing an entire season. Unprecedented. There's also an unprecedented move in the collegiate sport landscape. The new ruling that is allowing athletes to make money off their likeness. The NIL, the name, image, and likeness rules that now allow collegiate athletes to make money outside of their sport. I think it's fantastic, but it runs pretty deep. There's lots of rules, lots of regulations, and the impact could potentially run very, very deep. So today we're going to visit with Adam White, the CEO of Front Office Sports. Front Office Sports is an incredible resource that looks at the business of sport. I follow them closely. I get their daily and weekly newsletters. And they recently launched an online course called Athlete Marketing Essentials, just sort of giving everybody an outline as to how they can go about, you know, wading through the new rule changes and how they can take advantage of it. Because the windows are so short, the windows of opportunity for athletes to make money are very, very short. We're going to talk to Adam today about what this means for collegiate athletes. And boy, boy, we already know that uh, the collegiate pipeline for developing elite athletes is becoming more and more and more important uh, because, you know, as sports look for maturity, they look for skill levels, they look for readiness. The more mature athletes who are going through these incredible collegiate programs now, uh, they're just they're just a better option at the higher levels of sport. It's also very, very important for our Olympic athletes, athletes who go to these colleges to practice their crafts and they still compete for their countries. It's just a fantastic avenue in our high-performance pathways that frankly is becoming more and more important as we move along. So as the competitive environment um, um, sort of evolves, colleges are going to have to do a better job now to attract athletes to come compete at their schools. And uh, this could be heavily influenced by potentially these new NIL rules that are allowing athletes to make money. So we're going to try to wade through it. We're going to try to clear the air and get a better understanding. I don't think this will be our last conversation on this topic because it runs very, very deep. So I'm really looking forward to that conversation today. 
It's so important for everybody who is looking to go to college. So that's coming up later in the show. But before we get to that, we've had some great emails and some great correspondence with our listeners. And yes, I will say this. We really didn't do a deep dive on the Olympics like we normally would. Of course, we were all set to do it a year ago. And then it was postponed and delayed. We didn't know what was going on. Postponed and delayed. Well, you know, we had our our trials and tribulations with that, of course, because we had incredible guests lined up, but nobody could figure out what's doing. Imagine what those athletes went through. You know, so we're looking back. The Olympics is, you know, we're, we're two weeks after the closing ceremonies. And boy, oh boy, thank goodness the Olympics happened. Just for those athletes. There were so many just great performances. So I want to address a couple of the messages that came in regarding the Olympics. And one, yes, I, I was about our coverage. We didn't do a deep dive. We'll get back to that in the winter. Uh, it was just too chaotic trying to track everybody down, but we enjoyed them. But we've had a bunch of questions just talking about the medals and the medal counts. Well, you know, just to sort of break down these Olympics, just to give you an overview of how incredible they really are. There's 206 nations, at least at Tokyo. These Olympics were, were interesting. Not everybody was there. So, you know, you can watch the medal counts and you could, you know, frame it up however you want. But but here's sort of the breakdown, okay? There is 206 nations. There were 11,656 athletes that attended Tokyo. Unfortunately, there were about a dozen or so athletes who contracted the coronavirus and couldn't compete after everything they'd been through. What a tragedy that is, and it's unfortunate. But there were 13 nations that only had two athletes present. The U.S. had the most. The United States had the most athletes in Tokyo with 613. There were 1,017 medals handed out to 339 different events, just to give you a quick little overview. Now, how do you value the medals or how do you evaluate who was most successful? Well, you kind of have to put it into context. These are kind of the questions that came in through the Crush Mailbag. And again, info at Crush Performance is our email. If you have any comments on this, get to us for sure. But, you know, if you look at the United States, they had 39 medals. Well, you know what? They also had the highest number of athletes, 613. And when they're looking at their talent pool, look, the U.S. has 330 million people. So they have an incredible talent pool to work from. And so that's a distinct advantage of, well, Japan, who was third in medals, has uh, 127 million people. So, you know, it's a pretty pretty good base of, of athletes to choose from or at least to develop from. But when you look at China, who came in second with 38 gold, 88 medals overall, they have 1.4 billion people. Now, that's a talent pool. In fact, they have more people under the age of 18 than the entire population of the United States. So you would think that a country with that kind of a base would have some serious, serious success at the Olympic Games. So again, you have to take all this sort of into consideration when you're looking at who had a great run in the Olympics. Take somebody like Great Britain, okay? They're fourth overall in total medals with 65. They have six, just over 68 million people. Then you go to Australia, who is a fantastic study in sport performance, because they have a population of 25.7. So it's a very small population base, you know, in the big picture. And they came six overall in medals with 46, but they had 17 gold, which was which is actually fairly 
incredible. Canada has 38 million people. They came in 11th in terms of gold medals and 11th in rank by total medals. So again, all this stuff has to come into play. So it's really interesting to watch these countries. The Netherlands is fascinating to watch. If you go to the Winter Olympics, where we will be doing a deep dive, you have to look at Norway. Are you kidding me? Norway in the Winter Olympics with a population of what? Five, five, five and a half million, 5.2 million. Um, they dominated the world at the Winter Olympics. They've got a sporting system there that really, really, really works. You know, so all this stuff is just fascinating to watch. But one of the questions that you guys sent in kind of took me by surprise. Somebody wrote in and asked, hey, which medal do you value most? What a great one, right? Is it a team medal? Is it one of the new medals? Look, I watched the surfing. I watched the the speed climbing. It's like Spider-Man. That's where Spider-Man came from, by the way. Just incredible to watch. I totally love the skateboarding. The table tennis is incredible, but you have the team sports. You got the individual sports. You have the really physically demanding sport, the women's marathon swim. Are you kidding? For a guy like me, I cannot believe how these human beings swim. It's incredible. I swim like a tugboat, so I have the utmost respect for anybody in the water. But when it comes down to it, you guys know what the answer is here, I think, right? When you look at all the events and when you try to put a, a value, you know, based on this question, which value do we weight as most valuable? It's the decathlon for sure and the heptathlon for the women. Those two events. These are the most well-rounded, most demanding events uh, in the Olympics. And to be successful here, you have to be some kind of athlete. I mean, if you look at the men's decathlon, just the events and the diversity of events, the things you have to be good at to be successful here, the 100 meters, the long jump, then you've got the shot put and high jump, then you've got to run 400 meters, then you have to do 110 meter hurdles. Listen, running hurdles is an art. It's a, it's a craft unto itself. Then you also have to throw a discus and then you've got to get over a bar way up high with a pole, the pole vault. And then you got to throw a javelin and then you have to be really, really fast in the 1500 meters. Come on. If you're asking which metal is most valuable, there's my answer. That's my answer. And then, of course, on the women's side, it's the heptathlon, right? You, I mean, it's crazy. It's the 100 meter hurdles, high jump, shot put, 200 meters, long jump, javelin, and then 800 meters. 100 meters, 200 meters, and 800 meters. 800 meters. Have you ever tried to run 800 meters as fast as you possibly can? I've done it. Actually, I did it a couple of times. Back in university, I would run track a little bit. I had a great, oh, one of my profs was just a renowned uh, track coach. I learned so much from being involved in all of these different sports. You know, trying to pole vault was an incredible experience, but the training for pole vaulting is fascinating. Just great, great stuff. So again, the question that came into the old Crush mailbag was, hey, Crusher, which, which medal do you think is most valuable? Well, there you go. And I, I, you would have to come up with some kind of crazy argument to change my mind. The decathlon for the men, the heptathlon for the women. Great question, by the way. I mean, that's our Crush audience, man. We think like that, right? I, love, I totally love it. Oh, so great. You know, in Tokyo, the youngest competitor was 12 years old. How about that? 
And that's a conversation for another day. Cause you know how we talk about, you know, competing too much too early. I wonder what going to the Olympics does to a 12 year old, you know, so we're going to track down those 12 year olds and we're going to try to follow them, sort of follow their careers over the next five to six years to see if they, if they take off and, you know, conquer the world or if they sort of fade away. I mean, we've seen it in tennis here a little bit lately. You know, some of these young athletes get in there and they get caught up. They get caught up in it. The money, the fame, the social media, and it really detracts them or maybe distracts them from what you need to do to be a world-class athlete. And I often think that there should be a minimum age for the Olympics. The IOC does not have a minimum age. Certain sports, however, and their federations will set age age limits for competing at the Olympics. Like, for example, to compete in gymnastics, you have to be at least 16 years of age. For boxing, you have to be at least 18 years of age. What do you guys think? Should we have a minimum age for the Olympics? I, I kind of would like to see a junior Olympics. And I know there are junior Olympics, but let the juniors compete at the juniors. Okay. And then let's have, let's have the world's top athletes compete at the Olympics. But then I wonder... Could we possibly miss out on something? Because the youngest athlete to ever medal in the Olympics was 10 years old. It was at the 1896 Athens Games where a 10-year-old Greek gymnast won a medal that helped their national team win the gymnastics event. How about that? So, man, could I be wrong here? I know the world's changed (laughs) quite a bit since uh, 1896. (laughs) right? I mean, but man, our kids are talented. Like you get a kid that has a passion for sport and the resources to chase it down. So I don't know where that age limit should be, but I still got this just gut feeling that we need some kind of age limit for events like the Olympics. I mean, how does a, how does a 10 year old or a 12 year old deal with Olympics? Maybe they just don't care. Maybe they just don't, maybe we overanalyze things too much. Maybe a kid goes, yeah, man, it was cool being at the Olympics. Awesome. Hey, I'm off to go, you know, read comic books and chew bubblegum. I'll go skateboarding later. You know, maybe, man, maybe there's a lot to learn from these kids. Hmm. Food for thought. Crush food for thought, ladies and gentlemen. Let me know what you think about that. Hey, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush. Just text me messages there. I actually really do enjoy that. I'm not on social media a lot. You guys know that. Um, I post uh, the podcast articles, information that we like to share. But actually, I've been getting back and forth on social media with some of our listeners. And it's been a ton of fun. Like, again, you know, our job, the way we look at it is to get you guys thinking about things you might not be thinking about. But you guys do the same for us too. So interesting. So yeah, maybe let's follow up on that one with you guys. Should there be a minimum age at the Olympics? Interesting. Anyway, love the Olympics, decathlon, heptathlon, the most valuable medals. That's my opinion. Let me know what you think and let's get after it. Coming up after this break, we are going to look at the changing landscape in the NCAA as athletes are now allowed to make money on their name, their image and their likeness. It's a great move in my opinion, but boy, oh boy, could this be a Pandora's box? We're going to talk with Adam White, CEO of Front Office Sports right after this on Crush Performance. Stick around, everyone. You're listening to Crush Performance with Jeff Crushell. Get the Crush podcast, newsletter, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. 
All right, welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Questions, comments, smart remarks, get them into us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush and on all other social media platforms. Search out Crush Performance and we can hook up there for sure. Hey, listen, new website on the way. I'm really excited. It's coming. It's a lot of work putting together a new website. But this is going to be worth it. We're going to have so many ways we can communicate and share information. So keep your eyes open for that. We'll keep you posted. All right, down to business. Listen, the landscape is changing once again in the sporting world. And this time in the arena of the NCAA. And I love it. There are a lot of moving parts here. And it's still early in this game. How is it going to play out? We're not sure. There's a lot of speculation, good and bad. Mostly good, I think. But it's an exciting new development in the sporting landscape as collegiate athletes are now able to make money off their name, image, and likeness. And to help us peel away the layers here, we're joined now by Adam White, the CEO of Front Office Sports. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. It's a very interesting time in sport. So glad you can join us. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's definitely an interesting time. I think sports has always been kind of the barometer of what's going on in culture. And I think now more than ever, it's proving to be the case, right? NIL, athletes investing in businesses, uh, all the things going on with conference realignment, the sports betting, right? Like it's just, it's a, it's a, it's an electric time to be in this space. So appreciate you, uh, appreciate you jumping in and want me to join. Yeah, no, I'm actually very glad. I follow front office sports and I get your daily updates and, and I'm telling you what, I'm really, really enjoying this kind of coverage. It's not quite mainstream, you know, sports uh, coverage, um, but really interesting stuff. And of course, our show, Crush Performance, you know, we're more the athlete performance side. But, you know, we'll talk about the business side of sport because it's incredibly important. And and, um, you know, front office sports has done a great job there. So what was the inspiration behind front office sports and how did you guys get this going? Because I, I love it. Yeah. So I started in uh, 2014, actually, at the University of Miami, where I went to school. So myself and a guy by the name Russ Wild, uh, we kind of put our minds together and originally was supposed to be in my, so I started myself and then Russ about four months later, but originally it was part of my, uh, part of a class project. And I basically did informational interviews with people who worked in sports industry to make sure that by the time I graduated, I had a job. And what happened is one thing led to another interviews turned into us doing editorial coverage, editorial coverage turned into us doing more. And yeah, it's just kind of snowballed from there. And we've, you know, kind of adjusted ourselves over the course of the pandemic to really focus on newsletters. Our whole ethos now is being the first mass market daily sports newsletter network. We have four brands and market partnerships with like, so Facebook, DraftKings, Instagram, uh, Anheuser-Busch, you name it. And so, yeah, things have really started to pick up for us. We're really excited about what's coming. But like I mentioned, like we've just kind of been part of this upswell of what's going on in this space. Yeah, no, no, Adam, and I really, really like it. You know, uh, anybody who goes to the website, you can go uh, frontofficesports.com. Um, and so just sort of a, as a descriptor there, I think it's really uh, pertinent here for our audience. You know, it says, you know, front office sports. E- each week we help influential business leaders make sense of the $614 billion business of sports. And you guys do a really, really good job of the business side, but you also have some very deep and well-informed uh, sort of news stories looking at athletes and, and the stories behind maybe their contracts. Um, but, but you guys go well beyond business. I really like the breadth of the coverage. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. The goal, I mean, it's again, like 
sports is business and business is sports, right? Like we always say like all athletes uh, right now, like it's the athletes want to be business people, business people want to be athletes or we're athletes. And there's just this nexus, right? Like it's just this collision. Everything is happening there. Kanye is having a concert at Mercedes Benz stadium where the Falcons play Atlanta United plays, right? Obviously it's a venue, but there's sports and entertainment. Uh, you have people like Patrick Mahomes buying into ownership stakes of soccer teams, his fiance as well. Right. So uh, yeah, there's just so much going on. Uh, tons, 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 obviously with the Olympics, and I think coming out of the pandemic, a true renaissance of health and wellness, everything like that. There's, I mean, you name it, it's going on. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're talking with Adam White, the CEO of front office sports. Well, Adam, uh, you know, one of the things that we've been watching very, very closely is this whole um, shift in the NCAA landscape with the uh, name and image likeness and their the athletes' uh, ability to now reap some financial rewards here and talk talk about man a massive shift not just in this the sport because it, it's this is going to ripple down into the actual sport side of it. There's the business side and there's the sports side. This is going to impact that whole thing. You know, when when we look at the NCAA and how they've sort of operated, you know, over the last eons, it has been one of the greatest, I think, uh, monopolies I've ever seen in sport. And that's falling apart now at the seams, it seems. Yeah, it's, I think it's changing, right? I think it's falling apart in, in one way, but changing in another, right? I really don't, you know, I think even Mark Emmert has mentioned it that, you know, the NCAA is going to potentially just be more of a regulatory body at large and, and not really have any, uh, have any hand in some of these things. Right. So uh, because of the fact that they've kind of been usurped from a, a state and federal standpoint. So yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, I think they will still be the people who put on championships and I still think they will be the ones who uh, do those things. I don't know. I mean, realistically in a college football side of things, where you have a college football playoff that is going to probably be expanded to 12 teams, maybe even more than that within the next couple of years. Realistically, that's not an NCAA, that's not an NCAA sanctioned event. That's a completely separate event. The college football playoffs committee is completely separate of the NCAA. Right. So yeah, I mean, you'll probably see a lot of interesting things, right? Like all the conferences have their officials and their conference championships, and they'll probably still do that. Uh, NCAA, you know, obviously March Madness and things like that. But again, it should be fascinating to see. I, I think it'll be good for the sport, right? I think everyone talks about, you know, oh, this is going to blow up college athletics. I don't, I don't think it changes anything realistically about college athletics. It actually, you know, allows people to to make money. It allows people to uh, find ways to to be more than an athlete, as you would say, right. In terms of like monetizing on YouTube or just having hobbies. Like I, I remember one of the early partnerships was with a guy and his dog, right. And, uh, or a college football player and his dog, right. Just loves his dog. Right. It's something that he's really passionate about. Or there's another player who loves music and couldn't play music sets or couldn't go to and have like a, a, a concert for his friends and they would pay to attend because he couldn't take it because his name, image, and likeness. So, you know, I think there are obviously with anything, there's always going to be bad actors. I think there's going to be more good actors than bad. I think right now everyone's just trying to figure it all out, kind of a fly by your seat approach. But, you know, for the most part, I think at the end of the day, like, yeah, there was a big push around at the very beginning of all of this signing first deals and this, that, and the other. But, you know, I think it's going to level out. I think you're going to see a lot of brands get involved. And I think at the end of the day, it's going to be overall good. 
Yeah, we need a little disruption, like like anything else. We need a little disruption to move things forward. Uh, and just to be clear, I'm all for this. I am all for these young athletes, um, you know, taking advantage of the opportunities they've created for themselves uh, because we all know how fickle the business is and we all know how few of those collegiate athletes will move forward to to professional sport and really make the big bucks. So I think this is fantastic, you know. And, and if we look at the... You know, if you look at the the earning window for these athletes, it's not great. I mean, we all kind of know what college is. You know, you got your four-year programs, your three-year programs, and some of them, you know, will, will play up to five years. But, you know, if you look at the average career in, in Major League Baseball, probably has the longest career span in all the professional sports at right around – five and a half years. The NFL is three and a half, you know, NBA four and a half. There's not a big window of real prime earning here. And I think this is a real big opportunity, as you mentioned. And, and yeah, there's a little disruption right now, but I think that the waters will come and, and we'll all make sense of it. But what a great thing for young athletes who have worked their lives to create opportunities for themselves. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a big thing to talk about, right? Like even the NCAA itself, it's more of, a, it talks about, you know, more than, I think it's like, more than 90% of student athletes go something go pro in something other than sports. So while they're in school for those four years, they might as well take advantage of it, right? So, I mean, look, Bryce Young, the quarterback at Alabama, could get hurt his senior year, never play again, but has made, you know, $2 million to $5 million and at least was able to take advantage of the height of his athletic ability, right, at that moment, right? Obviously, if they continue on, then that's still – but in that moment, in that time – they have the ability to be there. So, yeah, I think that's one thing that's really interesting. I think it's fascinating. I think it's great for uh, smaller niche, niche niche sports. I think it's great for right. opportunities for women's sports, right? And a lot of these, you know, honestly, I, there's there's a lot of people out there who think that women will make more than men when it comes to NIL, right? So because of their social followings and what they've been able to do on those platforms, you know, one of the, the girls who – is projected to be one of the highest earners that I believe is a, a freshman or sophomore gymnast at LSU, right? Like it's amazing. Like yeah. that's like, when was this, you know, this girl probably has a scholarship there and that's about it. Now this girl has a scholarship is competing at LSU and likely is going to make six, seven figures uh, a year because of it. Right. Because of what she does. So yeah. yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, again, like I think there's never been at this point, never been more time never been more power in the athlete's hands across the board. Yeah. Right. Like, like that's the thing here is that gives a lot of the power back to the athletes specifically at a collegiate level. And I think what's going to happen is you're going to start to see more schools really make sure they're prioritizing that because they want to want to keep those athletes around. Right? right. The athletes have choice. The athletes have ability to make money. Now the athletes have, you know, all these opportunities that I think once, you know, weren't, weren't there before. And I think again, and you'll, it, I don't think it's going to change anything. Like I'm going to go see Alabama play Miami at, uh, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in September. And I promise you, I'm not going to be there thinking about how Derek King, the quarterback of Miami, made over the offseason 600000 bucks, like, because he could. Like, we're not thinking about that. We're watching the game. Like, it's, it's the same thing, right? Like, I think that's the one thing that people, again, for some reason – had a, a dis, disappropriated, uh, you know, impression of like the fact that these kids, once they started making money, would would change what happened. Like, I mean, professional athletes, like we're still watching pro sports, doesn't right. change anything. Yeah. These guys make more money than they ever have before. It doesn't hasn't changed anything. They still play sports, and they still it's still something that we watch. And so, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, may it create some more inequity in terms of like the haves and the have-nots in college sports and the big-time programs and the non-big-time programs? Potentially, right? If If Alabama can come to me and say, hey, if you signed to be a quarterback at Alabama, you know, Bryce Young, who hasn't even played a stat, made $800,000 last year. Like, that's pretty enticing, right? So it's just another recruiting angle, just like facilities were, just like, you know, uniforms were. At first it was uniforms, then it was facilities. Now it's NIL stuff, and there'll always be something else. It's just an evolution. Yeah, an evolution of sport. We're talking with Adam White, the CEO of Front Office Sports. No, it's really interesting. I think it's going to take a while for the athletes to get their heads around it, but there is a massive business booming here. And and Adam, do you think the potential for some athletes to get lost on the business side and get distracted from the sports side. Uh, we're going to need some good people around these athletes, you know, counseling and mentoring them because um, this could add a level of chaos to their worlds that we just haven't seen before. Yeah, I mean, I think you're 100% right, and I think I touched on it earlier. There's going to be bad actors. There's always bad actors in these types of scenarios, right? Like, unfortunately, the unfortunate scenario is that, right? There's always going to be bad actors. So I think, you know, I think that's going to be, again, on the onus of the school now to make sure that they're educating their athletes and their student athletes who all of a sudden Bryce Young is a 19 year old who just walked into $800,000 worth of money or contracts and duties he has to fulfill. Right. And things he has to do. Right. So yeah, all of these things are, are, are really interesting. And again, I've created other marketplaces for tech companies to facilitate these deals with athletes and all of these different things. And I think again, like, you're just going to see a marketplace emerge and you'll probably see people who offer their services to these student athletes. And you've already seen it. Like agents are signing high schoolers. Agents are signing people in college for quote unquote NIL representation versus like true contractual representation. So yeah, I mean, again, it'll be another place for brands to spend their dollars, this, that, and the other. So We'll see how it all shakes out, but I think it is going to be really interesting. Yeah, I'm fascinated watching this already. There's talk about, you know, uh, charging for interviews. Appearances, I get. I totally get the appearance thing, uh, you know, but charging for interviews, that's going to have to be monitored closely, in my opinion. But I already see the NFT world blowing up. You know, there's um, uh, actually this is on your website as well. The youngest player you know, uh, to, to, um, land an, uh, NIL deal or take advantage of the NIL deal. It's a fascinating read, but to see the NFT world already happening there and they're creating likenesses and, and putting value to their likenesses in that, in that world. Fascinating how fast this is moving. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm personally not too bullish on NFTs. I know there's a lot of people that are, uh, I just eventually, I feel like it's just kind of like a flash in the pan type moment and things that like are, you know, are hot now that could be something later. And again, like it's just not my thing. So I'm not an expert on it, but it'll be interesting to see how they, they pan out again. It's just an opportunity for people to make money and they're going to take, uh, take all of that. So I don't, we'll see digital collectibles. Obviously the hard collectibles market is booming and there's a lot of money in that space it continues to get bigger and better. So Again, I'm not bullish on it. I think eventually as things kind of fizzle out, everyone goes back to a normal life. Because that's the one thing, too, is don't want to overcorrect too much with what's going on in the pandemic currently. Because it's like people are around at home, sitting around, this, that, and the other. Like, is there going to be a real desire? And now I think it's changing. But is there going to be a real desire for NFTs when, you know, half the world is back or, or, you know, the entire world is back commuting to work and people are out and kids are in school and people are going to games and, you know, their attention is just elsewhere. 
And I think that's an important thing to note. So, yeah, we'll see how it shakes out. I think NFTs is one spoke in the wheel. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm, I'm with you on that one as well. I'm just sort of sitting back watching how that world operates because, again, I'm not an expert on it and I, I'm with you. I'm not I'm not too confident in the future of that, but I'm interested to see how quickly that's taking off here. Well, you know, Front Office Sports also has another arm that I really wanted to talk with you about here, and that is the Front Office Sports Essentials. You guys have uh, some online courses that you present uh, for various different things. And one of the recent ones that are up on your website is Athlete Marketing Essentials, NIL Certification. This is a real important, timely course. Maybe tell us about the course, how the front office um, uh, sports essentials works. Uh, this is a great idea, Adam. Yeah, so the courses was really just an opportunity. Honestly, we had kind of built out a event platform before we started, before COVID actually in 2019. Uh, called the Huddle Series, and it was essentially a master class. And it was very similar to the course product, actually. It was four or five different sessions that you went in. By the time you were done, you had like a what would be like a, you know, kind of like a, a learning in that specific topic. And you should t- go away with a lot of cool takeaways. And, you know, again, it was just some dumb luck, but courses kind of came out of that. And I pitched Pepsi, who was our first partner, and I said, look, I think there's a huge opportunity in and around you know, with the pandemic going on and around this space around online learning and education. And I really think that this is an opportunity for us to, to talk, you know, further about what you guys have going on. And I just think it's in a way to democratize opportunity to get high level education in a unique way that's pertinent to an entire, like it's very focused, right? Like it's a broad marketing, it's sports marketing and really focus on a certain demographic and area. And yeah, the first courses worked. The second courses worked. We're working on our third, fourth, and fifth courses right now. Um, and I think it's going to be a bang, and it's going to be a blowout for us in terms of like product opportunities and offerings in the long term. And it's really exciting. I mean, we've had ten thousand people register for the first two courses already. Spending over two hours of time in the course, right? So the engagement is incredible. The people posting their badges on LinkedIn and saying they're certified and this, that, and the other. It just honestly is, is really validating for what we've done. And again, it gives people the opportunity to do it on their own time, whatever they want. And like, as you know, like online education, education in general, you know, most people learn on YouTube now, right? Like you can learn mostly anything on YouTube or go and take online classes elsewhere. So yeah, I think it's something that's really, it's something we've really carved a niche out for us. We do it. We're the only people who do it. And it's going to be something we're really excited about long-term. Yeah, no, congratulations on that, Adam. And I agree with you hundred percent. This is just a new age of education and, and we're seeing it right now. And I'm actually intrigued by the uh, NIL, the, the name image and likeness certification. It's not just for athletes. It's for athletic departments, sport professionals. And it's talking about, you know, how to maximize their presence and earning potential uh, on on various platforms, which is truly what it's all about. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, for them, again, it's a one-to-many approach, right? The ability for the people at Facebook and Instagram to have the opportunity where they chat with us and they can distribute it to anyone, athlete, student, to, uh, you know, administrator, brand, agency person, and really have an understanding of how athletes and NIL is going to work on their platforms in general is super, is super important and super powerful. Absolutely. And I do agree with you. And you mentioned it a couple of times here that the organizations and not necessarily uh, the NCAA, but also maybe the conferences, the universities themselves, 
But also now there's going to be an impact. I think I believe the the NIL landscape is going to have an impact right down to developmental sports. Adam, do you see maybe the potential for athletes to leave certain communities, to move to other communities, to have a better opportunity to take advantage of the NIL um, opportunities that, that, that might lie somewhere else, somewhere other when, than where maybe they're, they're growing up or going to high school? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I mean, I think that there does, right? It offers them an opportunity to all of a sudden be available inside, you know, these areas in which like, right, like Bryce Young didn't go, to, like isn't from Alabama to my knowledge, but now he's super relevant in Alabama, but also he can go home. And this is the other thing too, that I don't think a lot of people talk about is he can go home and have the ability to like do a camp and host a camp, right. And be part of a camp. Right. And then make money off of that. Right. Yeah, so, right. yeah, I think that's the stuff that's really, it's really interesting is that's going to be a lot more like, you know, your mid tier basketball player can go in and be like, okay, I'm going to go home. And yeah, I'm a, you know, maybe I, a, uh, not a starter at Miami, but I play off the bench and, but I'm, you know, my best, I'm the best high school player in my town. And so I can charge, you know, $50 a lesson, right. Or whatever it is. And I think that's the thing that you'll see more of too, is you'll have the opportunity to, to really start to see these other companies and other brands take advantage of that. Yeah. Adam, I love that. What you just said right there. And it's something that that hadn't occurred to me. So a, 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 a local high school star gets a scholarship at some maybe little school or mid-range school or maybe one of the big boys. And, you know, it's just a huge story in this little town, you know, maybe, of you know, a couple thousand people. And now this athlete can come back and over the holidays and maybe host a, a basketball camp for his hometown kids and maybe three day basketball camp and earn some money. That to me is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I I a hundred percent agree. I mean, again, it's just there's going to be a lot more trickle down. It's not just going to be the people at the very top, right? It's not going to be the people at the very top. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Excited about it. Um, you know, all these different things are going to happen. So we'll see how it all shakes out. But you know, it, it's something that again is really really interesting and what we're excited about. Yep. Great stuff, Adam. Hey, listen, really appreciate your time today. Uh, I'm totally loving front office sports. We'll be plugging it here. You guys have a number of articles right now on your webpage that, that are talking about this exact topic and so much other cool stuff. Hey, congratulations on all the success so far, Adam. I look forward to really staying in touch here because you guys are digging down pathways that really resonate with crush performance, you know, and I, I really would like to stay in touch and, and maybe hit on some of those um, um, angles in the future. Yeah, for sure. Whenever you need it. Really appreciate you having me on. Good to chat. Okay, there you go. Adam White, the CEO of Front Office Sports. Hey, it's a great follow if you get a chance. I mean, this is the business side of sport, and it's a really important part of the game. I mean, it really, truly is. They've got great articles on players and stuff, but but it's about the business of sport. I mean, $614 billion a year generated inside of sport. It's massive. And he's right, the social influence and the connection to our society, it is tighter than most of us might think. So uh, I want to thank Adam for that fantastic conversation. Hey, we have to cut out for a quick break. When we come back, we're going to wrap up this show, and we're also going to talk about getting ready for the hockey season. Listen, if you're a hockey player, if you're a hockey family, let's get ahead of the game. We're going to talk to our buddies down at United Sport and Cycle right after this. Because even though it appears that the fall hockey schedule is going to be pretty much back to normal there's going to be a lot of things that aren't going to be normal and getting hockey equipment might be one of them we'll find out why right after this on crush performance 
You're listening to Crush Performance with Jeff Crushell. Get the Crush podcast newsletter and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Hey, reach out to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush. We are heading into the fall here, and the hockey world is coming back to life. From the grassroots right up to our pros, there's lots going on. We're joined now by Kelly Hodson, our good friend from United Sport and Cycle. Kelly, listen, as the hockey season approaches, we talked a bit about this in soccer. You know, kids have grown. Equipment that fit a year, a year and a half ago might not, probably won't, as a matter of fact, fit right now. So now is the perfect time to get in and make sure all of your equipment is fitting properly. Or if you've grown and things aren't fitting quite right, giving yourself enough time to get the equipment you need to hit the ice when the puck drop is really important. Kelly, does that sound fair enough? Yeah, it really is the truth, actually. You know, we, we talk about, uh, you know, other sports coming back, and we've talked about soccer, like you say, and ball and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously the, the equipment needed for those sports is fairly limited and, uh, you know, very important in its own right, but but very limited to a couple of pieces. But when the sport of hockey, there's a number of pieces of equipment that a person, especially uh, children, will be wearing. And, and uh, like you indicated there, there's a lot of, um, kids that haven't probably worn their equipment in over a year, um, some even a year and a half. And so what we're really doing is really try to invite kids to come in, parents to come in with their kids and bring your bag of gear in. We'll dress the kids and uh, check out and see how, how things are fitting. Because what we found is, you know, some kids have gone up two inches in glove size or two and a half um, skate sizes and, you know, helmet size and all these different things. And, and I know from for me, when I went back to hockey as I was growing up as a kid, I'd always go back and it would, you know, usually during that first camp, I'd figure out what still fits and what doesn't. And but I mean, when we're talking about skate sizes, jumping two and a half sizes and and glove sizes and such like that, it's you can't go to camp with equipment that small. You're you're gonna have to uh, you get that addressed before you go. Yeah, no question about it. And the other factor there, Kelly, is even for older, worn-out equipment or some parents with the greatest of intentions buying oversized equipment, man, fit and safety go hand-in-hand. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we talk a lot about the importance of fit as it relates to performance, Jeff, and and uh, but you're right. I mean, more so than that is the safety aspect of, of having ill-fitting equipment. Um, so having stuff that's too small, obviously you're leaving body parts exposed and, and that could be a real risk, um, but also having um, equipment that's too big, you know, it's just, you know, having protection in the areas that it was intended to be and, and have not having protection where you need it, um, you know, really creates a concern um, if you get hit with a puck or a stick. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an interesting time for sport, for sure, Kelly. Listen, we've missed an entire hockey season in the developmental and recreation er- uh, um, levels. Um, so it's going to be an interesting return to sport. But uh, COVID didn't just impact the play. It also impacted the production of all this equipment. We s- we've seen it in the bike industry and some other sports. I'm sure hockey has to be affected as well. And, and this story is not quite over either, is it? Yeah, no, it's really not. I mean, it's it's no secret where a lot of our hockey equipment is produced and and being overseas and stuff, and it's well documented as to you know what's happening over there. Um, you know, with containers and shipping costs and all those things that go along with it, and and 
the inability to be able to get product overseas, um, it's gonna it's gonna have an impact in the hockey market. It just has to. Um, so yeah, we've really been trying to educate our customers and to not wait, especially for those that are keen to get back into some summer camps and and of course tryout season is not far around the corner. So yeah, if I if I had any advice for for the your listeners and and the parents and the players that are are listening right now, I would say don't wait. You know, make sure that you address your your fit concerns with your equipment and such. But but also if you know you're going to get something and, and don't don't leave it until you know the day before because um, selection of inventory could be at risk uh, and most likely will be at risk as we head into the fall so uh, don't delay get it now no oh, great stuff Kel hey if people want to get down to the shop or get in touch with you guys what's the best way to do it Kelly yeah well, our main location is open of course at 7620 Gateway Boulevard and uh, what we've really experienced through this last 18 months is customers have a lot of questions about a lot of things. And so we've really opened up different portals for them to be able to ask us. So, of course, come down in store and let's have a chat. But if uh, if you're jumping online, we have a chat feature on our website and we have experts on the other end of that chat that can be able to answer some of your fit questions or technology questions. Um, and, of course, you know, they can email us at sports at United. Uh, .ca and and lastly but not least um, a number of different social media channels whether Facebook Instagram Twitter uh, reach out that way and, and we have experts on the other end of that we can help you with with anything you need great stuff Kel excellent man the hockey season cometh let's get ready talk to you soon yeah thank you take care okay well there you go it's time to get ready for that hockey season And, you know, we've seen it in a number of industries now where their ability to provide product is hampered by the supply chain. We're still dealing with the backlashes and the spinoffs of COVID. So we're going to have to be patient. We're going to have to be ready. So I think that's some sound advice for any athlete out there, not just the hockey players and the hockey families. Let's try to make sure we have a lead time. Make sure your equipment's fitting properly and what's not fitting Let's make sure you have what you need, yes, for performance for sure, but most importantly, for safety. We need to make sure our athletes are safe out there in in ill-fitting or broken-down, worn-out equipment. That gets us into the danger zone. So let's let's make sure everybody's safe out there. We've got to thank Kelly for that. Also, I have to thank Adam White, the CEO of Front Office Sports, for joining us today. What an incredible time in sport, especially in the collegiate world, with the new rules on the NIL, the name, image, and likeness rules that are allowing athletes to now make money as they go to school and rightfully so again those windows are so small man we're running out of time but i gotta get to it you know the average career in major league baseball is only five and a half years the nfl is three and a half years the nhl has a longer career which i'm kind of surprised this is most recent data i could find it's right up there with mlb at 5.5 years and then of course the number of athletes going from college to the professional game well you guys know that there's a bottleneck there those numbers dwindle coming out of high school to college they dwindle again coming out of college going to pro sport so it is an interesting time and those windows are so small we're going to follow this with great great interest earn away make hay while the sun shines again that's what they say right and i agree in this case wholeheartedly all right let's wrap it up that's another episode of crush performance in the books i want to thank you guys for tuning in go have a great week and we'll talk to you next time right here on crush performance goodbye now don't forget to ride 
Hey, it's Rock Raleigh, and I am so jacked up. I got a new podcast. Once a week, it's The Rock Stops Here. I'm going to be talking with athletes and entertainers, current and former, on making it to the promised land, to the top. And what happens when it's all over and you don't know what to do and you got family problems and money creeps in and health and all that jazz. Real talk. No more corporate BS. I can call it like it is. The Rock Stops Here with me, Rock Riley, can be found anywhere you find your podcasts and RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>